All right. Uh, you know, we live in a time where anxiety is on a meteoric rise. Uh, the percentage of people that struggle with anxiety on a daily basis is rising exponentially. Uh, it depends really what study you read, but uh, many studies report now that 19% of adults are struggling with some type of consistent anxiety. If you are female, uh, that number rises to 23%. If you are a millennial in this room, and I know many, many of you are, you're twice as likely to struggle with anxiety than is someone of Generation X or of the baby boomer generation. And people are looking for answers. In fact, I read this week uh, an article that said uh, the number of books that booksellers are now selling on the, top of, on the topic of anxiety uh, is rising at a rate of 25% year to year. This morning, I want to read to you from a book in which the author knows a deeper truth. Uh, because he is the truth. Uh, we're going to take a look at the words of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, on this topic of anxiety and worry. Now, I find that people throw out words like worry and anxiety all the time nowadays, except they don't put any sort of definition to them, and so I think it's critical that we kind of do that at the outset here. Uh, there is a, what I would call a basic anxiety that every single person deals with from time to time. That's, uh, if you're in school, you maybe have some anxiety about taking your test the next day. You're trying to sell your house, and you have some anxiety about, is it going to sell or not? That's what for a century or so in English we would call what? Worry, right? And now words change, right? There's, this, there's a semantic uh, evolution to words. Now often we, what, we call, what we used to call worry, we now label anxiety. But it's a bit confusing, right? Because there's also a different thing which we should maybe call clinical anxiety. And clinical anxiety is often characterized by a panic attacks or certain phobias or really just an anxiety that can almost cripple daily living. There's old school worry, right, that everybody has, and then there's more of a clinical anxiety. When we look at the words of Jesus today, he's addressing more of what I would call worry, which sometimes now people also call anxiety. If you are dealing with a more clinical version of anxiety, although I suspect some of this will be helpful, you're probably also going to need some more personalized help and direction from a specialist. But it's the Word of God, so this is a good starting point. Uh, we are in uh, chapter 12 of the book of Luke. Um, let me just see a few quick notes on it. I was really, 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 really trying uh, last week to get in Jesus' words and teachings in the final verses of our passage on the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, which is the unforgivable sin. And I just didn't have enough time. Uh, we do cover this topic in detail in our Theology 201 class in the summers. I'll just say this on it. If you're worried about if you've blasphemed the Holy Spirit uh, by speaking against him, uh, if you're worried about it, you haven't done it. Uh, if anyone has done this, they would feel zero regret about it. Again, I wish I had more time on it. I wish I would have got to it last week. Uh, but we're already taking three years on this series, so I kind of got to keep moving. Okay, if you have more questions on it, feel free to send me an email. I can send you some resources on it as well. Also, next week, um, we are going to take a little break um, from the book of Luke for a while, and we're going to move into a brand new series called The Chief Virtue. And I'm going to take three weeks. I'm going to teach you out of the scriptures on what really is the chief, the foundational virtue of the Christian life. If you have this, it'll lead to so many other good things in your life. So... 
I'll be here next week, and I'll, I'll tell you what it actually is. Okay, Luke 12, we're going to be in verse 22. Uh, we actually have to skip over uh, verses 13 through 21. Uh, that is a passage that I've already taught on twice in our church. In fact, I even did so last year, so we're going to skip to 22. So if you have a Bible under your chair, we're on page 846, uh, or you can use the Renovation Church app. You just have Bible and weekly verses. My aim for this morning, rather than just kind of focusing on one main point, I'm actually going to give you nine biblical truths from Jesus that you can sort of have in your quiver as you fight the battle against worry and anxiety. My hope is that just one of these, or two, maybe even three, would really hit home for what you're worrying about. I mean, what is it that you're worrying about right now? Maybe even think of that before we go further. My hope is that at least one or two of these truths can be an arrow that you can pull out of your quiver and fight this battle against worry and anxiety. Okay, so we're at verse 22. Here's what it says. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear, for life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Okay, here's the first truth you can use to fight against worry and anxiety. The first truth is this, and feel free to take notes. You can do that actually in your app, or you can use the back of the bulletin, whatever you like. It'll help you remember mentally here. Truth number one is life is more than physical things. This verse is actually a bit fascinating to me. I kind of expect Jesus, when he says, don't worry, I expect him to say things like, hey, don't worry about the size of your house or what job you will have or about your relationships. But right away, Jesus starts by breaking it down to the core necessities of food and clothing. And he says, yeah, don't even worry about that. Okay, why would Jesus say that? One of the things he wants you to see from the outset here is that your life is more than just physical things than even just food and clothing. You're not an animal, okay? Because animals just worry about the physical. Do I have food? Am I warm? Am I safe? Will I get meow mix for breakfast, right? It's really simple stuff. But you, you're not an animal. You are an eternal being, one that will live forever. And if you're worrying about the physical things, the earthly things, way too much, what's happening is you're losing sight of your spiritual immortality. You're, you're, you're losing sight of the truth that earth is actually just a temporary home for you. One of the things I think that's important to keep in mind as a Christian is that your worry reveals what you worship. What you worry about often reveals the things that you worship. And if your mind is always on the physical things of this earth, your money, your status, your housing, that means that your mind is probably most concerned with physical and not the spiritual. So one of the ways that you fight as a Christian anxiety is you turn your mind more to the eternal rather than just the temporary. Okay, so let's say you're feeling anxious about uh, something at work. Maybe you've got a, a project that's going on right now and it's just a really big deal and you're stressing out about it. One of the things that you do is you ask the eternal question, will this project that's currently stressing me out matter 10,000 years from now? Okay, so you fight anxiety. Rather than looking horizontally out at the world, you look up to the eternal and go, oh, yeah, no, it's, it's not. It's not going to matter. You fight anxiety with remembering that life is more than just physical. It's more than just earth. Okay, uh, number two. So let's move to uh, verse 24 now. Jesus says, consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable 
you are than birds. Okay, so here's the second truth we can pull out of this verse. Number two, you are valuable to God. This is something that I think a lot of people could say mentally, but they don't believe emotionally. So Jesus says, God cares even for the ravens, just a common bird. In fact, according to the Old Testament, Jews actually believed that ravens were an unclean bird. And yet even the ravens can trust in God to care for them. Okay, the raven doesn't fly around going, oh no, oh no, I'm going to eat, I'm going to eat today. What if, a, what, if a, what if a storm comes tomorrow? What if, what if another bird eats all of my wiggly worms? Right? Like, that's ridiculous, right? It doesn't happen. The raven trusts in God for today. And so can you. Why? Because you are so much more valuable than a bird. And God takes care of them. Uh, think of the things that you own. Out of all the things that you own, what are the things that you really take a, you, you, you make special care to make sure you do an incredible job taking care of? Well, it's probably the things that you value most. And God is saying that you are inc of incredible value to him. I want you to imagine that you are in a room with God. He's sitting in a chair, you're sitting in a chair, and he looks at you right in the eye and he says, I want you to know I love you and you are of incredible value to me. If you heard God say that, which he actually just said to you in his word, if you heard him say that, could you say back to him, oh, but I'm so worried about tomorrow, it's just going to be a disaster. No, you, you actually probably wouldn't even be able to get those words out of your mouth because his words of love and value would assure you that you don't have to worry because we take care of the things we value, and so does God, okay? All right, next verse. 25, Jesus says, Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? So here's the third truth from the word of God. Worrying is a waste of time. Would you just say that out loud with me? Worrying is a waste of time. All right, sometimes you're just going to say that to yourself. Jesus is saying it's not going to accomplish anything. Uh, there was a study done a few years ago that proved uh, that a whopping 85% of what we worry about never actually comes to fruition. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? 85%. So this is a truth that you speak into your life when you begin to battle anxiety about what might happen, even though 15% of it is actually going to happen, you're worrying about what might happen. You speak this truth into your life. So when you catch yourself, like it's been happening for 10 minutes or maybe 30 minutes for some of you, maybe even an hour, and you're going, oh, I don't know, what if, this, what if this goes wrong? Oh, this is going to happen. You just stop speaking the word of God into your life, and you just say, mm-mm, worrying is a waste of time. There are too many of us that are false prophets to our own mind. Think about it this way. If, if you have time to worry, you have time to pray. So one of the things that you want to do is you want to turn your worries into prayer. I, I say that to myself because I, sometimes I'm, I'm a thinker, so my mind is liable to just worry. 
And if I catch myself, I'll say that phrase to myself uh, probably two or three times a week, honestly. I'll say, David, turn, as I talk to myself, it's fine. David, turn your worry into prayer. Right, because if you're struggling with things and you're down on your knees and you're talking to God and you're saying, God, this is happening, I just need you to be, that's prayer. But if you're just a false prophet to your own mind going, oh, and then this could happen and this, that's, that's a waste, that's a waste of your time. Okay, let's keep going. A lot, a lot, a lot of truth packed in this little passage. Verse 27, Jesus says, consider how the wild flowers grow. They do not labor or spin Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? Here's really the fourth truth I think you can pull from this section. It's that flowers don't write their future. Okay, so Jesus tells us that we are to consider how the wild flowers grow. So let's consider it. The flowers don't sit down at the beginning of the month and say, okay, here's what's going to happen. Uh, it's going to rain for 12.5 days this next month. I will be getting 14 hours of sunshine on the other 18.5 days, and I'll go to a perfect diameter, and I'll have 16 petals. Right? That's not happening. They're wild flowers. They neither write nor determine their future. God does. God's already done it. And so they don't need to worry about it. See, I believe one of the main reasons so many of us worry so much about the future is because we have a God complex. Now, I want you to think critically about this. If you're worried about what might go wrong this fall, or even tomorrow, what is underneath that, psychologically? What's underneath that? is that you know. You know how things are supposed to look. You know exactly what should happen if your life is going to be okay. And you're worried that your life might deviate from that plan. You're worried that God might get it wrong. But do our lives ever go as we plan them? See, a massive, massive part of letting go of worry and anxiety in your life is letting go of trying to be God, of trying to write and determine exactly how your future should go. Trust him. Flowers don't write or determine their future, and neither do you. And really, the next verse, the next truth, shows us why we can trust him. So verse 29 now. Jesus says, And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink, do not worry about it, for the pagan world runs after such things, and your father knows that you need them. And that really brings us to the fifth truth, that you as a Christian, as someone who believes Jesus died on the cross for them, you're a follower of Jesus, you have a father. This is so key. Jesus is saying that the pagan world, that's everybody who's not following Jesus, that they're running after all of these things. They're running after the physical and worldly things. They've got to have the latest fashion in their clothes, right? They've, they've got to make sure they're eating at all the great restaurants, and they've got to share about it on social media with you, right? Their house has to be right. How they design their house has to be right, and they're showing you pictures of their 
perfect house. Right? I feel like I should just take more pictures of when my kids destroy my house. I'm like, hey, this is what my house really looks like, right? But we feel like I've got to run after all of these things. And why? Why does the, why does the pagan world feel like that? They feel like they have to have that because their identity is in having those things. But you, Christian, follower of Christ, that's not where you find your identity. Your identity and who you really are and what drives you and what you're living for, your identity is that you are a daughter of God. You are a son of God and he is your father. And good fathers care for their children. You have a father in heaven. You need all of this other stuff. I said, don't worry about it. Okay, verse 31. Jesus says, but seek his kingdom and these things, all the things that we're worrying about, will be given to you as well. Uh, Jesus uh, says basically much of these same words that we're going through today in uh, Matthew. It's in the Sermon on the Mount, actually. In, in the Matthew parallel version, he says, well, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. And so one of the things we have to tell ourselves is this sixth truth, and that is, as a Christian, we are to seek first the kingdom. This is a major understanding if you want to be a follower of Jesus. I'm not talking about a consumer of Jesus, one that comes to church, and that's the only time they think about Jesus. Can I get some tips for my life? I'm saying a follower of Jesus. If you want to be a follower of Jesus, we are to seek first his kingdom. What does that mean? That means that Jesus is first in your life. That he's first in your decision. He's first in your finances. He's first in your relationships. He's first in your time. That we seek him and put him first. He said, what's the promise then? The promise from Scripture is that if you do that, if you seek Jesus first, then all of those other things that you're worrying about, they're going to fall into place, right? Because you'll be trusting your Father, and you'll be living by good and godly principles. But if you get this backwards, which most American Christians do, most American Christians try and just squeeze Jesus into their lives whenever they have a spare moment or a spare week. I'll get to church like once a month or once every two months if I can kind of fit him in and the schedule works. If Jesus is always even second, for a lot of us he's fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, but if he's not first in your relationships and your decisions and your finances and your time and your life, what happens is life starts to unravel because what comes first? when it's not Jesus. For most of us, it's selfishness. We're making decisions based on what we want. And when selfishness is the parameter, it's the deciding point for what you're going to decide, life unravels. And actually, you will double the amount of anxiety in your life because of your life unraveling. But if you seek first Jesus in his kingdom, the promises and all these other things are going to be okay. Verse 32, Jesus says, do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. This verse almost reads like a little quick parenthesis. It's like Jesus is saying, seek first the kingdom. Oh, and by the way, you don't have to fear, because think about this. God has given you the kingdom. This is a powerful truth if you would allow your mind to meditate on it. And that is number seven. 
God, as a believer in Jesus, has given you the kingdom. Now, the kingdom of God is when you are experiencing life where Jesus is king in your life. That starts here on earth, and obviously that continues into heaven where you're seeing Jesus face to face, and you know that he's the king. But you know what this is saying? It, it can sound a bit theological, but it doesn't have to. Okay, let's, let's say you're worrying about a health issue in your life right now, and maybe many of you in this room are. And Jesus is saying to you, he's saying, my flock, I am your shepherd, and your father has given you the kingdom. As a believer in me, he's promised you paradise for all of eternity, for billions and billions and trillions of years. You know what this is saying? It's saying this, if you were to think more of heaven, you wouldn't be so dismayed by what's happening to you on earth. So, yes, your health may be difficult right now. Your health may even be failing. For every single person in this room, at one time in the future, your health will fail. But fear not, because life is just a blink, and then, as a follower of Jesus, you will be in heaven with a new body that will never wear out, and it will never grow old. So God is saying, okay, yes, yes, times are hard, but I've given you myself and I'm with you right now. See, I just think this is such an antidote to anxiety that few Christians actually pull out of their quiver. Because anxiety wants to say this to you. Anxiety wants to say, oh no, oh no. See, look, look, look into the future. Everything is going wrong. Hmm. Everything is going downhill. Everything is just going to get worse. The worst is coming. But good Christian thinking is, uh-uh. The best is coming. Even if life continues to be hard on earth, the best is coming. And it's going to last for a really long time. God is good. Okay, verse 33. This, okay, then we got to the really challenging part for Americans. Here we go. Jesus says, Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. All right, it feels almost like a bit of an unexpected turn here at verse 33, at least to those of us that live in a materialistic culture, which is 100% of us in this room, which means we're a bit more blind to this sort of teaching of Jesus as many of our brothers and sisters in Christ are around the world. Now, let's put some context on this verse. Remember, Jesus is saying this 2,000 years ago in the ancient Near East, and he's saying these words about sell your possessions to people who lived in homes with dirt floors, to people whose families all slept together in one room, has no electricity, no technology, no appliances. To them, he says, sell your possessions. So surely this applies to us, okay? So here's number eight. You want to reduce anxiety in your life? Have a garage sale, right? Sell some of your stuff. Okay, but what in the world does this have to do with worry and anxiety? Because it's right kind of at the end in the middle of the passage. It's not a different topic. It's connected to worry and anxiety. Okay, well, let's just carry the logic through. If your life 
is more than just the physical things. And God is your loving Father who values you greatly. And you are to seek Him and His kingdom above all things. And He's already given you this blessed life in eternity. If all of those things are true, it would actually run completely against the grain of those truths to then go out and say, yeah, but I'm just going to need all of these possessions to make me feel valuable, happy, and secure. Jesus is saying, if you really trust that God is in control and you don't need to worry, then why do you need all that stuff to feel like you're in control? Or do you not actually trust me? If this verse is true, and all your possessions are eventually going to wear out, they're all going to disappear. 200 years from now, they're all being a landfill. As 1 Timothy says, you can't take any of them to heaven. If God is really in control of your life, then why do we need all of this stuff? You know the average American home, if you count every piece of paper, every paper clip, the average American home has 300,000 possessions. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Do we need all of this stuff? Couldn't we give to people who are in real need? And if we did that, wouldn't our trust level in God go up? Some of you just went, ah, no, absolutely not. <laughs> but I think you just trust Jesus over your fear here. You know, one of the things you see in the Gospels is Jesus speaks, especially about money, like as if we need to live in this wartime philosophy. Now, the book of Acts, the story of the church getting started, speaks the same, even more so. People are dying, and they're going to be sent to hell without a saving relationship from Jesus Christ. And many of us have the resources to do something about it, right? To give to churches that are reaching people for Christ, to give to church planting, to give to overseas missions, to missionaries. We have the resources to do something about it. To which many of you just said in your head, no, I actually don't have the financial resources to do anything about it. I don't have the margin for that. My bank account is actually ridiculously low right now. And that's why Jesus just said, yeah, so sell your possessions. <laughs> because so much of our identity is wrapped up in this. All this stuff that we have to have so we can fit in with the culture. Because it would just look weird if we had a smaller house, right? or if our car wasn't as nice, or if we didn't have this. All this stuff that we have to have to show the world that we made it, to show the world that we're okay. All the stuff that we have to have so we can control our environment, and we can feel secure, and we can feel worthwhile, and we can feel safe. But God didn't put you on this earth to feel safe or secure in your possessions. He has given you a mission. He has blessed you so you could be a blessing. The point of God's blessing in your life wasn't so you could use that blessing to try and reduce your anxiety. Your things will never do that for you. Which leads us to the very last truth. Verse 34. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Last thing we're to do, you want to reduce anxiety, is you treasure Jesus above all other things, all your things, all your stuff, all your promotions, all your money, you treasure Jesus. This is such an important verse in Scripture. What you think about, what you value, where you give your time and energy, that's where your heart is really going to be. The heart is the center of a person in the Bible. And so if all your time is spent on your career, all your thoughts are spent on your career and advancing, getting promotions, getting more power, getting more money so you can feel more secure, 
If you're more secure, then you would have less worries, right? That's kind of how the thinking goes. Jesus is saying, uh-uh, the opposite is actually true. If money and, and success and security is what you treasure, then eventually all those things will be like dust slipping through your fingers. Well, you'll get them someday, only to have the stock market crash, or your company go under, and they just disappear. But if you spend your life treasuring Jesus, he will give you what you need. And you won't need to fear, and you won't need to worry. So when anxiety is creeping up in your life, what I want you to do is I want you to get out this quiver of truth, and I want you to pull out one of these nine arrows, maybe two, maybe three. I don't want you to pull out yet another self-help book or yet another blog. I want you to try pulling out the word of God. When anxiety is on the rise, maybe even open up your Bible to this passage right here, Luke chapter 12, and apply God's word. It is living and active to what you fear to what you're anxious about, to what you're worrying about. And God Almighty can help you win this battle, okay? All right, let's pray for that. God, we pray that you would help us as we worry, as we worry about the future, as we forget that you're in control and we forget how much you value us. God, we pray that we would be able to meditate and think upon your truth this week. We just thank you for those truths. In your name we pray, amen.